Stall It with Darren and Joe, a Go Loud original podcast, proudly sponsored by Five Lamps. The beer from Ah Here. Five Lamps is the locally brewed, great tasting beer. Try a local in your local. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Would you like to come and stall it? Ah, will you just stall it, look? I'd like to come and stall it. I'm not really in the mood. Well, come on and bleed and stall it. Yeah, house hatcher. I'm not a house hatcher. We'll stall it for the crack. We're gonna have a laugh. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Stall It. And just very lucky. How are you, Joe? How are you, Darren? You all right? What's the story with you? Ah, not bad now. Stall is a Go Loud original podcast, proudly sponsored by the Five Lamps. The Bear from Aya. Say it all. The Five Lamps. The Bear from Aya. Let me say it. Come on, you say it, you say it. The Five Lamps. The Bear from Aya. Aya. That's a lovely point. It's a lovely drink. It is, I have to it's say. It's one of the, it's the best. It's not one of the best. It's the best. It is the best. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, it's the most delicious mm. liquid I've ever blessed me mouth with. It's some show we have lined up for the for the listener today. Fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah. We talked about dreams, lucid dreaming. Yeah, we talked about that a long time ago on this podcast, but... We touched on it again. It, it's always a good story. It's yeah. Always, it's always good. We talked uh, talk about you convincing yourself that you're sick, even though you're not. Well, I don't think I have a headache. I've got some... Paracetamol. Yeah. Why is no painkillers in the jungle? Ah, because the paracetamol. Ah. I just had to take it away from you. I had to take the ball away from you. You'd have smashed the window with it. I needed to take it away. You're very right there. There's more terrible jokes like that in the podcast as well, so you have that to look forward and to. And we have a good chunk, don't we? Producer Owen has an absolutely fantastic story about some bizarre supernatural agency. And it's very interesting. What are they called? The, the, the uh, Bureau of... Premonitions Bureau. The Premonitions Pre- Bureau. I was going to say that, Owen. I was going to say that. So if you don't know anything about the Premonitions Bureau, don't go Googling it. Listen to the podcast. Will we get on with the show? Absolutely. Let's start it. Turn that into a marshmallow. Turn that into a banana. Fly. Go to space. Rob a bank. Do whatever the fuck you want. I have a migraine. Why? Again? Three weeks in a row now? I have the headache three weeks. Every day. Every hour. Every second. Fucking brain tumour. It's what you have. You don't have a migraine. You have a bleeding tumour. There's something growing out of the back of your head there, man. <laughs> is there? Yeah. Pretty your brain is hanging out. What the ah. fuck? Ah. What the fuck? I only have the headache today. And then I had another headache like two weeks ago or something. Not bad. Good going. If we went through... All these episodes, I'd say at least 80% of them is you saying, I have a headache. I'm very tired. I'd say you were the type of student in school that got to put his head down on the desk during the class. Oh, miss, I have a headache. Just put your head on the desk. No, I want to go home. Go down to the office then. Hey. It was very boring when you had to put your head on the desk then. Especially when it was a lie and you didn't have a headache and you weren't tired. And you'd be just like lying there looking at a desk and all you hear is, it's Matt Lum. Banya. When I said to the teacher that I was sick and if they sent me to like the principal or something like that and I had to put on an act and like I feel like I could have won an Oscar for my performances because mm. I didn't want to overdo it because then that would have been too much. So it was real subtle. It was just like, I don't know. I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just like the, 
my stomach and I just feel real cold and stuff like that. I, no, you know, I'll go back to me. I'll go back to me glasses. Oh no! And I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, was like, no, here, take a month off. Yeah. I used to be like, uh, I feel real sick. And they were like, uh, how sick do you feel? And I'd be saying, real sick. No, like, I just feel real sick. And then they'd be like, I go home there, you look real sick. And I'd be like, thanks, I do feel sick. And then i get a magazine and some jam on toast, a cup of tea. And uh, I'd oh, watch. You, you carried on the lie when you went home? Yeah, no point turning back now. Committed? I'd put it on for a week. I feel like that's what's wrong with you now. I feel like you still... I feel like you convinced yourself you are sick back in 2006 and you still believe it. I'm still sick. And there's nothing wrong with you? I always feel sick. It's weird. It's terrible. You need, you need to see a psychologist. For what? For your head, to get your head checked. You're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. There with glasses on like Ray. I'm a hypochondriac <laughs> like Ray. Ray Charles? Yeah. <laughs> that no, was Stevie Wonder, but why not? Yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> I just come to say... <laughs> I'm sick. Did you ever see Stevie Wonder's wife? Don't go there. Because he didn't. <laughs> it's an old one, that. It's a classic, though. It's a classic. Did you ever see his house? <laughs> did you? No. Neither did he. I just got to say I love you. Munchausen syndrome. Do you know what that is? Yeah, that's when uh, you f- keep eating munchies. So uh, the two of us, yeah, were late today. Mm-hmm. Was supposed to be in here at half ten, was it? Half that 10. was when we were supposed to be in, yeah. And originally I thought we were in a half nine. So I was like, grand. And then looked at the group chat last night and I was like, oh, half ten, that's even better. Bit of a lie on. And I slept all the way through my alarm. I set it for like eight and it must have been going off for an hour and a half. Uh, oh, fuck. What the fuck is that all about? Oh, that's the spicy ramen. It's past. It's past. I'm going through labour. Feels like I'm going through labour. I'm going to give birth to that spicy ramen in about two hours, I'd say. What would you call it? This is incredible. He has a migraine. If you're over there, whatever the fuck is going on over there? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you are the picture of health um, you, compared to the two of us. Compared to you two, yeah. This is. <laughs> I just feel like you haven't brought the best version of yourselves here today. You you were telling I'm me half. I'm all right now. I used to be a broken record, but I'm all right now. I'm this all right is, now. Like even the joke. I'm all right now. Is the broken record? But you're, you're, right now. you're Stevie Wonder jokes. His broken record jokes. Like it's like if two lads made a podcast fifty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you were already I slept awake through a two-hour alarm. Well, you That's didn't sleep. Right. You didn't sleep through it because you said you were awake at half nine. Yeah, and I had set it for eight, so I was going through. But we were supposed to. That gives you an hour. That gives you an hour to get here. Oh yeah. Then why the fuck were you late? The cat's out of the bag now. Now, now you know the truth. Now you know the truth. I had my suspicions. It's not even like that. Why? Why were you late? I feel like mine is a fair more honest. I was. I don't have. An you alarm. were late because I said I was going to be late. So you're like, I'm going to be late as well. Absolutely not. And Moira will tell you this. My alarm clock is the kids. And Moira thought she was being sweet. She didn't know that I had a podcast today. She got up with the kids, brought them downstairs, got them ready, sent them to crash. And she gave me a little lie in. She thought she'd be nice. She gave me a little lie in. Honestly, I'm having a lovely little dream about, I don't know, I can't even remember what it was now, but it was a lovely little Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then she comes in, cup of coffee beside me. Very nice. Moira's amazing. She's giving me a hug. It's like, morning, how are you doing? I was like, oh, how are you doing? And then I was like, what time is it? That's just a formal way of waking up. This. Lovely, very nice, very Oh, nice. yeah, you're all right. How's it going? Hey, how are you? How are you? How... 
hey, wake up, wake up. And then I says, what time is it? And she says, it's half ten. I said, fucking half ten. I'm supposed to be in the podcast studio at half ten, for fuck's sake. What'd you let me lie in for? <laughs> she thought she was doing me a favour. She's like, I didn't know. I, thought, I didn't know you were doing a podcast today. I was like, if you're going to do something nice for me, tell me about it. And if it is surprises, I hate surprises. They're always badly timed things. Um, so I woke up at half ten. And I was running around the house like a demon. A man possessed getting ready. And then I see in your message that said, sorry, I slept in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez, they're pleading two of us. And then you thought we were both in it together. Um, no, I was willing to accept one of you might have been late. But then I'm always suspicious that you don't even probably need to communicate at this stage. When one of you is late, the other one just takes that as the signal to be late as well, to delay themselves. <laughs> yeah, usually if Darren's late, I'm like, I will be late in solidarity. I'll hang around. I'll make myself late. But that was not the case today. Because Darren You were just in, late. Darren, I was an hour late. You never use an alarm clock? No. Oh, some life you lead, John McGuckin. It's not. The kids wake me up. You the don't kids even know the like... fear of that noise then. You don't know the fear of the noise of a child going, Daddy! Daddy! Well, and you're like, more fuck than, yeah. I'd rather that than... No. Waking up to a screaming child with a... A load of shite in his nappy and pissy nappies and screaming and cranky and demanding food. Straight away off the bat. Bra- you know, when I wake up, this is what I do. When I wake up, I go, oh, hey. And it takes me about half an hour. I'm walking around the house like this before I'm awake. And I'm a nightmare as well. I'm very cranky in the morning. A kid just goes like this. Breakfast! Breakfast! Change me! Daddy! And screaming at you. And you're just like, fuck off. All of that at once. At half five in the morning. Half five in the morning. Half five in the morning, Darren Conway. And what time would you go to sleep at? Ten. Me? About ten. Them, half seven. Eight. Usually takes me about 45 minutes to drift off. One of them anyway. One you can leave in the bed and he lie there for a half an hour and just let himself get so tired that he just falls asleep by himself. The five-year-old is scared, so you couldn't have to lie with him for 45 minutes. What's he afraid of? Everything. He's oh. afraid of everything. Is he? He is a windy bastard. Well, He's you liked so that when you were young. I was. Oh, well then. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Oh yeah, because uh, you thought uh, there was a man in the bat. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Is he still afraid of the man in the corner of the room? He wasn't afraid of him. He was just kind of frustrated. He's like, "Oh fuck off, man!" Still, he, he won't leave me alone. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's still there. He's still hovering around. A few people messaged me said, "Oh, my kid's the same." Some people have. There's a dinosaur that comes through the window. That's cool. That's cool. But a man into that look. A man in the corner of the room. There's like nothing. Yeah. That's just a creepy fucking image. My daughter has a scary tiger sometimes. No, it's not too bad. Don't know how he gets in there. She doesn't like him. But I'm able to rationalise that one. The man in the corner. That's a no, weird no, one. That's, that's harder. Yeah. That's harder yeah. to deal with. A tiger is cool. Like that's it. enough for me. Child's imagination could conjure yeah, like, up could a tiger. Could be like tiger. a tiger or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Hey, kids. But a fucking man that won't leave him alone. Yeah, there's a difference between Tigger saying, hey kids, and a man in the corner saying, hey kids. There's <laughs> <laughs> a very big difference. There's a very big difference. But yeah, I'd rather wake up when I want to, by setting me alarm at the time that I want to get up, Yeah. rather than being dragged out of a slumber at the whim Do you know what happened to me the other day? The other night, I mean, I was drifting off and uh, this hasn't happened to me in a long time, but you know when you just jump in your sleep, as you're about to fall asleep, it was like every... Bone in me body just went, whoa. Yeah. It's scary, like, fucking, uh, like, isn't it? I dream that I'm skateboarding sometimes. <laughs> and I might slip on the skateboard. If I'm drifting off 
if I'm having a nap in the day. That's usually when it happens for me, when you're in like a light sleep and you're just like that and then I slip on the skateboard and I go, Tony Hawk's pro skater too. Keep flip. <laughs> Nolly. <laughs> so you've dreams about Stone Cold Steve Austin having a match with him, didn't you? I have dreams about whatever I want. I can lucid dream. How? I told you before. A lucid dream is a dream where you can control what's going on in your dream. It's a skill that you can develop over time and you can do that by doing reality oh, checks yeah, yeah. in your dream and I do it by counting my fingers. Oh, yeah. And there's other things that you can do, reality checks in dreams, like switching on a light bulb and it won't come on. Mm. Like light switches don't work in dreams for some reason. Or fighting, punching someone. That would be a weird reality check because imagine you weren't dreaming and you just punch someone. Yeah, but that's a good way of testing it. How do you know you're not dreaming right now? Because it can do that. Yeah, well, you're not going to punch me. <laughs> Why? But a dream can feel so real, just like this, like I'm in a VR headset. So you're choosing to have dreams about Stone Cold and... Sometimes. I don't always do it. I used to practice it more. Remember <laughs> that time you said, you always have dreams about coming on, playing for Man United, coming off the bench yeah, and Fergie yeah. saying, go on, you're late, son. I go on. 90 minute winner. <laughs> and Terrence Ter Ter Power was like, you're a da. <laughs> and you're having dreams about coming on and playing for Man United. I can't be the only one. I can't be. Can't be the you ever have one about coming on for any of the teams in Ireland? Shells or something? Just Man United. It means so much, doesn't it? It means so much, yeah. And just, I'm aware that I'm in Old Trafford and I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at the stadium and Fergie's right beside me. I'm like, I'm coming on for the last 10 minutes against Bladen. You don't even want to be counting your fingers to see if it's real or not. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to let this happen. I'm just going to enjoy this one. <laughs> and you're on the pitch and I'll feel the grass and everything. You're fucking coming on. Vanessa Roy is coming off. Yeah. Do you ever have a dream about coming on for the Shells? Um, Scoring a header. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very funny because I've never had that dream before. And I'd love to. Don't know about Shells. I had a dream once where I came on in the Buenos Aires derby playing for Boca Juniors. <laughs> really? Yeah, I scored a goal and then I set up Francesco Toddy with a through ball. I don't know why he played for them, but he did. And he scored too. <laughs> he must have been watching the match or something. Maybe. I don't know what happened. You didn't even score the goal. You just set up Francesco I think Totti. I scored one and I, then I set him up. That's, that says a lot random. about you, I think. I remember really it, it was random. It was vivid. It stuck with me when I woke up. I was like, well, that felt... So real. Yeah. Brilliant. I was in Brazil. Brilliant. Argentina. <laughs> Were you there before? Nope. In, in person, no? Nope. And my memory is it was a very oppressive atmosphere because the, the crowd was so big. Did you celebrate? Yeah. What, what did you do? Did you do? Oh, I think I just ran around like a lunatic with my arms in the air. <laughs> it was one of those days, you know. It's just was this? A lot of energy. Over 10 years. But oh, I still remember. It really sticks with you though. Oh yeah. When I woke up, I knew this one's going to stay with me. I'm never forgetting that dream. Don't think I've had one score for shells. I'm sure I have had one score. Oh, I did have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've had a couple scoring goals for shells. I'm jealous. It's weird. I have, you have, have to. to. Everyone fucking has. You've I'm never jealous. dreamt of scoring a goal for United or anyone? No. I'm trying to think of the last dream I had. Dreamt of having a headache. Yeah. No, the last dream I had was like the other night when there was this fella I used to hang around with and I don't hang around with him anymore. I don't even talk to him. But like he wanted to fight me and we were arranging like this fight to happen. Like where we were going to like get in and have an MMA fight. Like, and this was a dream? This was a dream. And there was posters and all up for it. Like, it was like an event in Fingless. <laughs> and uh, I think this only happened because I watched that film, Warrior. Right. And it was like a carbon copy of Warrior, except it was some fella I don't talk to anymore that I used to hang around with. Although in the film, they're brothers that don't talk. Do you think dreams mean anything or do you think they're just madness? Do you think that has any significance? don't think it has any significance, no. I just happened to watch Warrior and me dream interpreted that and... Gave me their version of Warrior. 
the Do you think that they have any meaning? Define meaning. Like some dreams could be more complex than other dreams, but like your dream of coming on for Shelbourne, it's like a fantasy. It's something that you'd love to do. Yeah. Like because you love Shelbourne and it would be an amazing feeling. So your brain just kind of conjured up that scenario. And then there's really complex dreams that are very hard to comprehend. Like, and there was a tree in the living room and then a monkey jumped out of the tree and the monkey starts singing over the rainbow from... and, But like, if I'd you actually... cry my eyes out when I woke up about that dream. If you actually thought about that dream, you say, oh, well, yesterday I drove past the tree and there was... Uh, and you can apply meaning to every single aspect of a complex dream. Or do you think it's just like... Bleh. Your brain just going, ah, here's everything. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything. It's hard to say, really. I don't know. Most of the time, I just think it's pure bollocks. It's just all shit. Whenever I do the lucid dreaming thing, what usually kicks me into it is being in a plane crash. And I feel so fucking real. And I feel like, fuck, this is it. I'm about to die. Like, we're in a city landscape and there's a big building and it's going to clip one of the wings. And it feels so real. And I can see it. Or I can feel it. And the panic is real. The sweat is real and I'm like, this can't be real. So I do the reality check and I say, this is not real. This is mad, but I'm still scared mm. because it still feels real. But I'm very aware that it's a dream. So I can just change the scenario then. I can just like turn me back to wh wherever way I'm looking and the scene just changes. And you're not on a plane. I can just be wherever I want and I can do whatever I want. It's a dream. It's your world and nothing matters in it. You've reminded me of something now, all the talk of dreams. Okay. That I've meaning to tell you about. Have you ever had a dream that, instead of thinking about the recent past, predicted the future? Or that you thought might predict the future? Or was any kind of premonition? No, my dreams, I'll show you. Have you ever had something happen and then look back and say, I thought I saw that in a dream, maybe? Like deja vu, kind yeah, of? Yeah, that deja vu. Like that, yeah. Yeah, but never in a dream. Never something that really strongly struck you as that was a warning or... Nothing that I can think of straight off the bat. Have you ever heard of a thing called the Premonitions Bureau? Rings a bell. It's an interesting story. Well, tell us more. I will. So it's basically a British scientist, highly respected scientist, who wanted to figure out if people could tell the future and if you could harness that to possibly serve as like an early warning system for major disasters. If you could find the right people who are having the right dreams, could that work? So kind of starts, there's a Welsh village called Aberfan. Oh, have you watched The Crown? No. no. Okay, well at the start... Amy watches it though. Season two or season three, I'm not sure which one, but at the start of it there is the Aberfan disaster happens. People might be familiar with that. So it was October 1966 and Aberfan was a mining village. So right beside the village, there was the mountains with the mines in them. And basically there was so much rain over a short period of time that all the waste rock and soil that they churned down to the mountain turned into an avalanche with the rain and... It collapsed down the side of the mountain and mm. killed, I think it was 144 people. And the first building it hit was a primary school. So it killed 116 oh kids. The school was covered just in this avalanche. The houses and all this were covered. And this was you know, a massive disaster in the UK. Like national mourning for mm -hmm. days afterwards and loads of people coming to try and help and all this. And one of the people who got there the day after was a psychiatrist called John Barker. So he was a 42-year-old psychiatrist. He studied at Cambridge before he qualified as a doctor. At the time, he worked in a place called Shelton Hospital, which was built in 1843. And it's like, when I read the description of it, do you know Shutter Island? Mm -hmm. And the, the facility there. Yeah, but you know yeah. the, the old school psychiatrics? Yeah, yeah. 
that's what I imagine when I think of this play, place, Shelton Hospital. It sounds pretty grim, pretty run down. And, like Dundrum Mental Asylum. But worse. So he was working there and this place is very old-fashioned. Like There'd be generations of families would have worked in the same jobs there and it had this incredibly strong smell of cat piss because feral cats had just made it their home. The nurses would just smoke constantly because the smell of the place was so bad and it was not a nice place to be. So this is not the, the picture of cutting edge medicine. The nurses smoked to make the place smell better? Yeah. Is that bad? Um, Should have just used the plug-in air. I do that on my gaff. <laughs> he arrived and he tried to modernise the place himself and another doctor tried to get out what they called straight electroconvulsive therapy. So that's when they did electroconvulsive therapy without also administering drugs at the time. They did simple things like they'd get cupboards for the patient's possessions just to give them a little dignity and a little privacy. They removed the locks from the ward doors in all but a few cases. So just small things, but trying to make it more humane and respectful towards the people who were staying there. Mm. And in 1965, then himself and the fellow he was working on with this co-wrote a paper for The Lancet, which is like the world's most respected medical journal. And they basically said that loads of mental hospitals around the UK were just abusing their powers and they weren't really looking after people the way they should. And it seemed to have quite a big impact. He was brought before the UK government like to ask to basically tell them what's actually going on here and how should we fix it. So this guy is good at what he does yeah. and he's quite modern in his way of thinking. What's his name again? John Barker. John Barker. John Barker. Yeah. From the UK. From the UK. Ook. He was big into things like sort of what was then cutting edge treatments on mental disorders. One thing he used to do was aversion therapy. That would be, they'd use electric shocks and nausea inducing drugs to treat addiction and other what they'd call unwanted behaviours, which at the time, well, it was used for a period of time to um, supposedly cure in inverted commas, gay people. Homosexuality, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he'd do things like outside his office, he had a rigged fruit machine and if you used it, you got an electric shock. Oh. <laughs> that was his way of trying to do some aversion therapy on the gambling addicts who he was working in hell. On. Yeah. Like, that's the only machine that'll do that to you. Mm. Like, all the rest of them wouldn't shock you. <laughs> <laughs> in 1966, the Daily Mirror reported that John Barker had cured a man of an extramarital affair <laughs> cured him of an affair. cured him of his affair yeah what did he say nah, it's not that bad don't be worrying about it actually you didn't have sex with her oh, thanks doctor thanks, there. <laughs> thanks John there I was thinking I was having an affair see you John now and this is where you're going to get interested Joe he was also a member of the British Society for Psychical Research oh, bring it on these are the lads investigating the paranormal mm. oh why oh, didn't you say I'd like that bit I, I, I knew you would but he likes a rogue doctor you know yeah, I just like the Frankenstein. psychological paranormal elements to it. He'd always had an interest in the paranormal. Even, you know, he goes to Cambridge and he gets his qualifications as a doctor. And he's all very matter of fact and evidence based and all this, but he's always had this fascination with the paranormal. And I should say pretty much all of the, the work on this is there's a journalist called Sam Knight. So everything I'm giving you here, like he, he had a book called The Premonitions Bureau. It's all in there. So there was speculation that Sam Knight reported about in his book was that John Barker's da, Frederick, was an accountant who was a very matter-of-fact man. But when he was serving on the front lines in the First World War, he claimed to have supernatural experiences. I don't have the details of what they are, but he came back from the war and this accountant who was all... His dad, is it? Yeah. 
so everything's numbers and ordered and all this and he goes off the war and he comes back and goes there's something weird going on there I see dead people now yeah yeah and that's, 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 that's it yeah, yeah. it's, it's, what, it's what we call end. in the 60s shell shock <laughs> yeah when he was younger before he rose to these lofty heights in the world of psychiatry John Barker would go ghost hunting in like supposedly haunted buildings he tried to make contact with a distinguished surgeon John Hunter who had supposedly died at the hospital he was studying at the time so himself and a friend tried to contact the spirit of this doctor who died in the 18th century Love it. he considered buying a pub called a squirrel because he was told it was haunted so he's well into this stuff this is right up history it is is he a qualified doctor oh yeah highly respected highly respected this is the fellow who wrote the paper about the flaws in the psychiatric system in England and the government asked him to come and present it to them and say what should we do and he's talking to dead doctors trying to seems he didn't get like someone from Scooby-Doo I think here now this fella El Barker (laughs) So, in 1965, he reads a letter in the British Medical Journal about a 43-year-old woman from Labrador in Canada. Little doggy. She was in hospital. Aren't interested. You yeah. should have said, darn, to be interested <laughs> yeah. in this Sorry, one. say that. Say that again. Where is it? Labrador. Ooh, lovely. There we go. She was in hospital for what should have been very minor surgery. And the operation was completed within an hour. But shortly after she came back around, she said she got a pain on her left side. Blood pressure collapsed and very quickly afterwards she died. Uh, post-mortem showed that she'd suffered a very rare kind of hemorrhage. There was no underlying illness. Like the chances of this happen were extremely remote. Uh, then afterwards, the doctors who had treated her learned that apparently this woman had been told by a fortune teller. This was when the woman was a child. She went to see a fortune teller and she was told, you'll die at the age of 43. The week before this operation, the woman turned 43. And so... Why would you tell her that? Why would you go to her? Imagine going to a fortune teller and saying, ah, you're going to die next week. No, like when she was a kid, they said, you're only getting to 43 and then it's over for you. That's terrible. It is, isn't it? Yeah, why would you say that to a child? You did. Well, maybe she was a genuine psychic. I still wouldn't want to know. If there was a genuine psychic out there and they knew when I was going to die, I'd say, don't tell me. Please. I was only saying this to Maura the other day. Like, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. Like, whenever I'm going to die, I wish there was someone who knew when I was going to die. And just like showed up and shot me when I was in my sleep. Mm. So I didn't know. The day before, like. Just the day before. If you knew, if you knew when I was going to naturally die. Just poof, gone in my sleep. When I was having a lucid dream. Look, if you know I'm going to die when I'm 59, on the 4th of August. now In a, in a painful way. I'm terrified now that I'm after saying that and it's on the record. And I hope I'm wrong. But you're a psychic and you know that's definitely going to happen. I give you permission to come into my house. I'll give you a key and I'll say... The day before, come into my house and shoot me while I'm asleep, in a deep sleep, like four in the morning. I think that's fair. I'm getting a premonition here of us being in court and hearing this played back <laughs> and some psychic going, <laughs> where's the crime? He was going to die anyway. He wanted it to happen. <laughs> he was going to get hit by a bus. I'll be like, one minute yeah. we're talking about places that are called Labradors and then we're talking about some psychic killing Joe. <laughs> so this woman died from a bizarre hemorrhage. A very rare hemorrhage. No underlying At what illness. age? 43. A week after her 43rd birthday. <laughs> That's what the psychic said. <laughs> and she was told that. Are you paying attention? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't think we got that far where it actually, she got It you. panned out, yeah. Yeah. And then she had told her sister and a nurse at the hospital 
before she went in, like she was keeping it quiet, but she said to them, going into this operation, I'm not coming out of this. Why did she say that? Because she'd been told she was going to die when she's 43. And she, she remembered, ah, she remembered yeah, that yeah. from a psychic. See, that's manifesting your own reality, I think. Well, that's, that's oh, well, Joe. Oh, shit. That's where we're going with this. <laughs> Get up out of it. Let's go. Thoughts become things. So the doctors who were reporting the case in that medical journal, they wrote, we would be grateful to hear from any readers who has experience of a patient dying under similar circumstances. And our man, John Barker, he thought he had treated at least two men during his career whose extreme agitation had either killed them or hastened their demise. So this is what's somewhat referred to as a voodoo death. So in 1942, there's a fellow called Walter Cannon. He's the head of physiology at Harvard Medical School. And he used the phrase voodoo death to describe being so worried about death that they effectively frightened themselves to death. <laughs> Sorry. And the, the, scient- <laughs> the scientific way what happened is supposedly basically overloads your nervous system. Imagine being so plans. afraid of death that you frighten yourself. You flood your you brain die. with so much adrenaline and you get your heart so worked up. Well, they say if you fall out of a plane and you don't have a parachute and you know you're going to die, you'll die from shock before you even hit the ground. Because of your adrenaline, and then you should pass out, and your heart will stop, and you'll be dead before you hit the ground. I'd rather that. Imagine the pain of that. Oh, I wouldn't I be don't think it'd be very quick. Oh, crashing off a fucking the sea. Oh, well, I was thinking the ground. Yeah. But even if it if was the sea, yeah. even the sea, yeah, yeah you'd say it'd crush it. Basically, you'd like concrete from that. Like. Anyway, how's John? Now this is known as stress-induced cardiomyopathy. So don't think it's called voodoo death anymore. But stress-induced cardiomyopathy, and yeah, symptoms are pretty much same as a heart attack. But that can happen without falling from a plane. You can just think about your death to a point where it scares you so much that you have a panic attack that's so severe that your heart just says, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, basically you can become so stressed by fear that your fight or flight response goes into absolute overdrive and floods your body with adrenaline. And it will increase the heart rate, the blood pressure and the blood glucose levels will be all over the place. And the sympathetic nervous system which is what's telling you to flee or fight, that's kicking in too. And basically the heart's electrical system, I think just short circuits. Gone. Brown bread. So at the time of Aberfan, which is the Welsh mining disaster, John Barker was writing a book about this idea that you could be scared to death. And... (laughs) (laughs) What? I feel like it's fucking just find the funny about being scared to death. Imagine watching the horror film like and just being so scared that you died. You watching The Exorcist years ago. Ah! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the Exorcist there. Ah! Like literally being so scared that you just go. Buh. You pass out. People pass out from fear. Yeah. From yeah. a scary film or something. No, it's just the way he's putting it. It's making me laugh. Say it again. Scared to death. <laughs> Imagine being scared to death. People always say that. You have scared me to death. Yeah. yeah. Well, you always think about the terms of like, you scared me, it scared me that you nearly fucking scared me to death, you bollocks. But like, you can scare someone to death. To literally. Death. Yeah. Like, Terrify them so much yeah. that they'll. Like, if someone had a fear of clowns, like an awful, terrible fear of clowns, and you dressed up as fucking it and chased them down the road, yeah. they could die. Mm-hmm. Well, supposedly, yeah. So, John yeah. Barker, our main man. He was really interested in this idea of people being scared to death. And the reason he had gone to Aberfan, the Welsh town, is because he heard that of the 144 people who died, one of them was a kid who escaped the school, but a short while later, he died of shock. So John Barker says, this sounds like it's kind of related to what I'm trying to study. And he headed down. And then while he was down there, he started hearing stories from people 
particularly from parents talking about their children's kind of, they had said strange things in the day beforehand. One was an eight-year-old boy, his name was Paul Davies. He had, just the day before, drawn a picture of, it was like a, a load of stick men, I think, just digging in a hillside. And the words he drew on top were at the end. This is the day before, it's one of the eight-year-olds in the school. That's pretty spooky. John Barker also heard a story of a girl, Errol Mae Jones, who said to her mother two weeks before the accident that she wasn't afraid to die. Which at the time passed off. I mean, I suppose it was a strange thing to hear from a 10-year-old, but mm. in hindsight, people started thinking about it a bit differently. There was also, the day before the disaster, this girl and her parents have, they went and they said to Barker, they signed off literally saying, like, she 100% said this. She said, Mummy, let me tell you about my dream last night. I dreamt I went to school and there was no school there. Something black had come down all over it. What? Jesus. So, John Barker at this stage, he was also hearing stories of people saying like, oh, like there was a kid who was late for school. He slept in for like the first time ever. And then some people saying, oh, if I, I moved to the other side of the house just before it happened, if I hadn't, I'd been killed. And he was kind of thinking, is there something else on some other level going on here that people might be responding to? Mm. You know, there might be premonitions that people are picking up on if they don't realise it. So he went away from Aberfan, quite not convinced, but very interested in the idea that some people might get premonitions. And he wrote at the time that even if people had a legitimate premonition or prophecy of what was going to happen, there was no way to report that as a warning and maybe save the people. And that gave him the idea for what would become the Premonitions Bureau. So he knew a journalist called Peter Fairley, who was the science editor at the London Evening Standard. And Barker says to Fairley, is there any way we could basically put an ad out in your paper and say, did anybody have any kind of premonition about the Aberfan disaster? Fairly said, yeah, no problem. And on the 28th of October, he wrote up a piece asking for people to send in and like that. And they got 76 replies. A lot of people reported having physical and mental symptoms. And that made Barker start thinking, is there like a pre-disaster syndrome that make you feel sick or give you a headache or something like mm. that? Some of the responses they got were... This was, was only 1966 and he's talking this sort of gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. <laughs> no sceptic Joe, huh? I mean, like, I can get behind the idea of a premonition because this is what... I, I have a theory. I think we experience life, like everything that we're experiencing right now, me talking, you process that and then experience it. Like, what you feel, what you're experiencing in life, I think is delayed by like 10 seconds and maybe more. Who knows? Maybe 10 minutes. But like what you're experiencing as a human being has already happened. Everything I've said has already happened. It goes into your brain, you're processing it, and there could be a delay. And that's why I think deja vu feels like, I feel like I've seen this already. Because maybe there's like a little bit of a cross over there and you are kind of, it's coming back quicker or something like that. It kind of feels a little bit more familiar, mm. whatever's happening. Because there's probably just a little bit, oh, the concentration or the wires got crossed in your brain. But like to get sick for your body to react differently, I don't know how that could happen. Yeah, that's what he wanted to figure out, I guess. I mean, he's not going off saying that this is definitely a thing. Mm. But he's just very interested in figuring out if this is a thing. And if it is a thing, is there a way to harness that for good? And he's well respected. He is. Not anymore. Okay, all right, let's go on. I've never seen the two years old cynical about something. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm with him on some point, then I'm not with him on another point. we've swapped here. <laughs> You're trying to convince me now. Uh, a couple of the responses they got into the Premonitions Bureau 
Two nights before the disaster, a 63-year-old man from Lancashire dreamed he was trying to buy a book. He goes up to the cash register and... I don't even think it was cash register. Like it's a machine that had a screen, which I imagine was pretty rare in the 60s. But on this screen, white letters read Aberfan, which this man said he had never heard that word or name before. So this was two nights before. Then there was a woman at a spiritualist meeting in Plymouth the night before the coal slide. And she said to six people, she said she'd had a vision, saw a schoolhouse, a Welsh miner and an avalanche of coal going down a mountainside. Cease to say all this after it happened. Yeah, and that's what they come to in a while. They, they yeah. start saying, very easy to write in afterwards. Very sceptical about it. There's a couple of people who I make you less sceptical now. All right. Okay, mm. okay. Within minutes of the disaster, there was a 30-year-old film technician from Middlesex who was working away and jumps out of his chair and starts saying he's... Or sorry, she says she can smell like this decaying smell like death. And when she looked back, she said, I did that exactly at the time that this disaster happened. And then she wrote in to tell them about it. So at this point, I've been calling the Premonitions Bureau. It wasn't actually the Premonitions Bureau until now. They got so many replies, they said, we actually have to set up a formalised mm. Premonitions Bureau. The Evening Standard newspaper and Peter Fairley, the science editor there, they would keep up the coverage of this for the next year, letting people know if you have a premonition of anything like a disaster or anything like that, send it into us and we'll put it into our database. And they would get them in, they'd file them away, and they'd have a point scoring system. They'd rate them on like unusualness. So I, I suppose if you predict, I don't know, I saw someone score a goal at the cup final and it's the week before the cup final, they're going to go, that's not, you're not getting any points for that one. It's broad. But if it's something very niche, like a Welsh miner and an avalanche, uh, that's probably, I guess, more what they're looking for. And then five points for accuracy and one point for timing. So okay. I think how accurate or how close to it it was. But like everybody in Wales in the 60s walked in the mines or knew someone that walked in the mines so you'd always be having dreams about the mines so it wouldn't be too strange to be dreaming about the mines and they were like famously dangerous places people died on the reg yeah and maybe there was other landslides I imagine so like the fear of that was already in place before yeah that happened like so yeah so that's where yeah. I'm at but I'm still with you I'm still with you now. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So Barker's kind of thinking, look, whatever about proving it, how can we harness this? How can we use this for the greater good? And can we basically develop a system where a computer will be able to take everything we put into it and spot a pattern and then come back to us and say, there's going to be a disaster next week. Warm people. Yeah. Um, Before we started this, I was thinking that would be a brilliant idea. Well, so he was thinking like, we'll do this for a year and if this works out, we'll be going to the British Medical Research Council, the Parliament, everyone, and tell them about the Premonitions Bureau and how it can help prevent disasters. Mm. And there is a point made by Sam Knight, who's the expert on this. I think he made this point. I certainly haven't clever enough to make this point or have enough uh, knowledge of the Old Testament. So, Of the Old Testament? Where is this going? <laughs> Jonah. Jonah is a character in the Old Testament and he could see in the future. And God asked Jonah to warn the people of place called Nineveh that he had seen their destruction coming and Jonah said but if I tell them that then it won't happen and therefore I'll have been wrong and therefore no one will ever believe me again All right. so stuck in kind of a contradiction a loop there yeah so the Premonitions Bureau similar situation if they get a warning about say an avalanche or something like that and plane crash a plane crash and they report it to the airline 
and the airline says we won't take off on that day from that airport and who's to know better exactly that would have happened and yeah. it just becomes this big fucking mess like. yeah you can't be proven right then yeah. yeah there's no way to be proven right and also if you did intervene we're getting to back from the future realms here if you intervene it doesn't happen so where's the premonition coming from well I guess if it was in the study stages and you said there's going to be a plane crash you just write that down and then if it happens then you're like ah yeah and then if you get a bunch of them you're like there has to be something to it then it feels like there has to be sacrifices made <laughs> like let them happen to trust the process yeah, yeah. and then if this happens like 10 times, it's real. Let's yeah. just prevent it then. As bad as that sounds. <laughs> was the results from the year of the the studies? And it would have been hard to document it back then in the 60s. Yeah, no pen and like, paper. Yeah. You, they couldn't <laughs> just... <laughs> like I was thinking, if there was an app, you stick all your dreams. Like if there was a, a million people signed up to this and that lived in There was Ireland. a certain amount of the same dream. Yeah. Mm. So they got 469 predictions. And in some a of year? Them, yeah. Some of them were like people saying this horse is going to win the Grand National, that kind of thing. But there were two people who sent in stuff that really made them sit up and take notice. Their names were Alan Hencher and Kathleen Middleton. Do you ever see that episode of The Simpsons where Homer has the dream that he made the most greatest invention ever? But like, he's about to see it and nobody will move the head like he can't yeah, see yeah. it. But for years, I was like, what the fuck did he make? What did he make? What was it? Yeah. I was like, well, fuck. Homer could be a millionaire. <laughs> Just from an idea that he had from a dream. <laughs> so Kathleen Middleton, she was a, a piano and ballet teacher. But when she was seven, she supposedly saw her mother frying eggs and without warning, one of the eggs, I presume without warning, I don't know how an egg would warn you about this, but the egg, egg, no, lifted itself right up off the pan. Ah! Rose up, almost touched the ceiling. It just grabbed, like, yeah. lion. <laughs> uh, Levitating egg. The Levitating egg, little Benedict, yo. <laughs> 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 this fucking... The man gets onto a fortune teller. Imagine seeing if there's a fucking flying egg in the kitchen, get onto the fortune teller. <laughs> Bring the guards. There's an egg flying oh, in the kitchen. Straight onto the guards. The newspapers. The last person I'd be calling is a fucking fortune teller. Fortune teller says, I feel like they probably say this about a lot of stuff. Guess what it symbolises? Death. <laughs> so if you ever see a flying egg in your kitchen, someone's going to die. A few weeks later, one of Annie's best friends, uh, Annie was the man, one of her best friends who had recently married, died. <laughs> Oh, just she like, was right. Yeah, but like... There you go. The what more proof do you need? <laughs> but like, a flying egg. Yeah, I feel like there, there needs to be a bigger deal made about the yeah. flying egg. I feel like if it was like, oh, you walk over four shores under a ladder, someone dies and then someone dies, it's more believable. But like, I can't get over the fact that there's an egg that flies. You go into the kitchen, you see a flying egg, like, yeah, and you're like, ah, bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> Someone's going to die now, bollocks. Everyone stay indoors. Someone pick that egg off the ceiling. <laughs> the dippy up. <laughs> Kathleen. Kathleen. Kathleen Middleton. So she that sounded like it was would saying. later say she experienced premonitions through her whole life. Like she'd get a ferocious headache and then she'd hear there was an earthquake. Here we go. Yeah, you have the headaches without the premonitions though. Maybe there's an earthquake. She says, I am drawn to these events by what appears to be a blaze of light, an electric light bulb. And apparently she never thought of working as a psychic or anything like that. But she would tell her students... She would complain that she was getting too much information coming in and she'd have to switch off the premonitions. Oh, you can do that? Apparently. Like uh, Bruce Almighty, when he just puts it all on the computer when he used to answer everyone's questions. Now, I can tell you're both sceptical of Kathleen's credentials. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think she's good at piano. You don't believe <laughs> about the egg. You don't believe she can play the piano. At 4am on the morning of the Aberfan disaster, she... 
was up on the piss all night. She said she woke up choking and gasping and with a sense of the walls caving in. And she told her lodger that she'd had this awful feeling. He came home from the night shift. So before she heard of the disaster, she told him and he was able to corroborate this for whatever that's worth to you. Then on 23rd of April, uh, 1967, she sends in a letter to the Premonitions Bureau. Actually, it was a picture she'd drawn. It was an astronaut taking some kind of space flight. She wrote, this venture will end in tragedy. And she said she'd seen a spaceman who was petrified and about to die and all this. At the same time that she sent that to the Premonitions Bureau, the Soviet Union had launched a cosmonaut, Vladimir Mikhailovich, into space. They kept that pretty secret. Nobody knew someone was going up into space and it was pretty rare for someone to go into space back then. Them Russians are very sneaky sneaking up into space. Huh? <laughs> little sneak offers. What are you going to space for and not telling anyone you little sneak offers sneaking up into the uh, space? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> snakes. You shot your rocket. So he tries to get back through the atmosphere. Doesn't work. Twice he bounces off the atmosphere can't get back in. You can bounce off the atmosphere? Supposedly. And he, on the third time he gets in but the parachutes fail. And he crashes down to Earth and dies, obviously. Suits him right sneaking off the space on his own. <laughs> Going on the Mitch. Fuck him. <laughs> Not telling anyone. <laughs> so that's one where Barker and Fairley, our lads of the Premonitions Bureau, they're going, hmm, that's interesting now. She's got two on... Two for two. The 11th of March, she had written to Barker saying there's going to be an assassination. Four days later, she wrote again saying, I keep getting the word assassination in these messages and I can't disconnect it from Robert Kennedy she warned Barker repeatedly throughout April and on the 4th of June she called the Premonitions Bureau rang him up called him three times warning that someone was about to be killed seemingly Robert Kennedy so that's on the 4th of June the following day well thereabouts on the 6th of June but very early just after midnight Robert Kennedy was shot in the head and died so she had been warning for a couple of months and just over 24 hours beforehand, she was hoping. calling repeatedly saying, it's about to happen. She had him clipped. She was involved. She's part of the CIA. She's infiltrated the Premonitions Bureau. And you don't do that. But at this point, you can imagine they're probably taking her seriously enough. Yeah, she I would. Now, if she was sending them in and that happened yeah. on three occasions, I'd be like, have to take a good look mm. at this now. But the Kennedys dropped like flies. They were always dying and getting shot and getting killed. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> JFK well, had been shot and Robert Kennedy was moving up in the world and it wasn't an outlandish claim to say someone might attempt to kill him. Two days later, it's pretty close though. That's a, that's a good guess. Our next man, Alan Hencher. How are you? What's his question? <laughs> Alan, <laughs> Alan's a 44-year-old telephone operator with the post office. He also apparently predicted what would happen in Aberfan. He was injured in a car crash, got a head injury in a car crash in his mid-twenties and after that he started getting premonitions. I'd love a few premonitions. He said it would feel like he was getting a, a headache, like a band of steel around his head. He mm. gets that all the time. That That's Darren's constant state of being. That is my headaches. It's, it's like a, a plate of steel or a band of steel, I mean. <laughs> he called Barker and warned him of a premonition he'd had of a plane crash he said it was over the mountains somewhere in the Mediterranean and it would kill either 123 or 124 people. A month later, a Britannia passenger plane carrying 130 people crashed during a thunderstorm in Cyprus. And all of them died? 124 people died. That's a lot of Of the people. 130. He had predicted 123 or 124. It's a lot of people. What's his name? This is Alan. Alan Hencher. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty specific now. Do you think when I get a headache that I should have a little think... 
Maybe I could have that. See what you're saying? I think you should meditate. Have one now. And try focus on, on your thoughts. Focus on your breathing. Clear your mind. And try visualise. See what... Tsunami. Tsunami? Yeah. Where? Um, Swords. Swords? Yeah, just beside pavilions. Where? Where's the water coming from? Uh, someone's bat. Someone's bat? All the bats and swords. They're all just... They're all going to morph together and create a big tsunami. And flood swords, pavilion. <gasps> That's mad. My headache's gone. I just need to be psychic cool. for like a minute and then it disappears. Right, so Henshaw got that one right. Yeah, so... Big plane crash. Then later on that year, he calls Barker and says there's going to be a big rail crash. This is on the 11th of October. He says a lot of people are going to die. There's going to be a big rail crash. Then on the 1st of November, Middleton also writes to Barker and says she's been seeing a vision of a rail crash. She's not sure, but she says it may be on a railway, a station, maybe people waiting at a station, and she's seeing the words Charing Cross. So a month after she makes that warning, a carriage on a train between Hastings and Charing's Cross has an accident, jumps off the rails, four carriages flip onto their sides. A train is destroyed. Several people killed, as far as I know. And at the time of the crash... Henshaw, who was on his shift, is taken to the sick bay, complaining of a severe headache. At 10.15pm, he wrote a note saying he thought there had been a railway accident and that it might have happened an hour ago. The train had come off the rails at 9.16pm. He said an hour ago. Yeah, but this is 1967. Yeah. He didn't know what had happened. Ah, bollocks. Which an hour later. Now, you, can't, you have to take that with a pinch. Fuck off. A phone he, call. But at a quarter past nine, he... Get he walks in the fucking post office. He's walking in telegrams on the phone, on the phone calls and all that. Nah, nah, come on now. He goes to the sick bay at a quarter past nine though. Says he's getting this headache. He always said he got the headaches when he was getting one of these premonitions. He's a lying bastard, him. <laughs> I don't trust him now. The other yeah, one, Middleton, he was on the blower. She's psychic. He was on Middleton's the blower. He was. A fucking chancer, listening to all the phone calls. So the day after the plane crash, we all know Barker's a believer, you know? Mm. Henshaw and Middleton, they're getting results. Barker's gullible. Barker is a swallow a bricky one. Barker not being responded to these cats because <laughs> it's all them sending over a load of notes. And well, he's like, "No way, is that?" No, yeah, they're in touch. They're in touch. They're yeah. calling him. He's talking to them. Barker's just like, "Give me more, I need more, more." The day after the plane crash in Cyprus, Hencher calls Barker. He says he's panicked. He says, "Barker, check the gas supply in your house." Barker goes, "I don't have gas." He goes, "Okay, yeah. Uh, have you got a dark car?" Barker says, yeah, it's dark green. So Hencher says, be very, very careful. Don't. Uh-huh. Tells Barker to look after himself. Don't do this to me. I'm, I'm Tim Barker. Don't kill him. Don't kill him on me. According to the Premonitions Bureau book, it seems that uh, Hencher wasn't given up. He's <laughs> been a bit mysterious at the start because Barker has to ask him, are you saying my life is in danger? <laughs> and Hencher says, yes, yes, it is. And yeah, Hencher wouldn't tell him anymore. Barker was pushing him for more info. He says, just watch yourself. Your life's in danger. Best of luck. Sell that car. Being very vague. Herbie rides again. <laughs> Mind of its own. <laughs> the so, postman always delivers. <laughs> that was in October. So Barker's going around with this on his shoulder for a while. And then in February the next year, 1968, Middleton has a vision. She sees Barker's head and shoulder on one side and her parents, who are both dead, on the other. And she kept seeing it for like a whole week. She kept seeing this. That'd be disgusting. <laughs> She didn't tell Barker. As far as I can tell, she didn't say it to him. She just said her parents were trying to tell her something. That's what she was interpreting it as. Mm. So that was in February. And in August, Barker suffered a brain hemorrhage and died. 
Oh, I'm not going to do with the car at all. What the Did fuck? That happened in his car? Did he die in his car? Now, on the day he died, Middleton... Which is the woman. ...couldn't sleep. That's the woman. She was choking and gasping for breath and calling out for help. And that is what she reported happening at the time of the Aberfan disaster as well. And this would later transpire to be the time that Barker had died. She could be only saying that. You know, you have to take that with a pinch of salt as well, unfortunately. And that was it then. He was dead. So the Premonitions Bureau stopped. For good? Well, who else was going to carry it on? Well, fucking start it now. We... 3% of the predictions. They got 723 predictions and 18 of them, which is 3%, came true. 3%? 3%. That feels like that 3% is just like guess. Yeah. You leave like 3% packed off just for a few guesses. Like If I, <laughs> if I guess 723 things would happen next year and 3% of them came true. You need to join that. You need to... The premonition. Bureau. Bring it back. So it's not going anymore? So what's this, is that book close finished story over? <laughs> the end. Night yep. night. <laughs> That's it. What do you take from that? Why is it always women? I feel like women are more psychic than men. I feel like Marla's a little bit psychic. Do you know that? I yeah. could be sitting there. I feel like Amy is as well. She knows when I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I, could be, I could be sitting there with Marla. Dead silent. On our phones or watching the telly or whatever. And she turned to me and she said, do you want a cup of tea? I said, I love a cup of tea. And I would love to, and I did, and then she'd make me a cup of tea. You know, you love tea, and you're not going to turn down tea at any moment. But at that moment in time, I was like, geez, you know what? I How would. are you thinking it? Like? I was like, do you know what? Take a bleeding love a cup of tea. And then she'd just turn to me and say, do you want a cup of tea? I was like, how do you know? <laughs> She's like, ah, I don't know you. So I think she knows me better than I know myself. Like Amy. Yeah. Says to you, are you hungry? I fucking am. I'm just sitting there, and like, thinking of a lasagna. It's <laughs> pitching it, like, on the wall. <laughs> I should like visualising it. And say, Do you want a lasagna? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, love one. <laughs> I think that is a bit mad. Like, you have to say, there is a lot of things there that freakishly add up. A lot of people have done very serious studies into premonitions and precognition and all this stuff. And the only studies that claim to have found some kind of scientific proof or pattern around like that were later panned by other scientists. They went back and looked at the work and said, you didn't do this properly or you didn't, you know, properly verify this and, and mm-hmm. whatever. So at the moment, there is no solid evidence anywhere that this exists. I like the oh, idea of it though. And the whole idea of the voodoo death that's known as the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect? Nocebo. Placebo effect. Like the placebo effect is that something can help you. So you could be given a tablet and the doctor tells you this will cure your... Uh, dodgy ingrown toenail. Yeah. And then it, it does. They'll tell you, Joey, take this for you on holidays and you'll have a good time. Mm. That's just a sugar pill. But it works for you. The nocebo effect is the opposite. In 2003, a group of men, one group was given a tablet that was, there was nothing to it. And they were told it would cause erectile dysfunction. Another group was given a tablet, not told that. And after three months, 32% of the men in the first group complained of erectile problems. No way. Yeah. That's mental, isn't yeah. it? Then there's, there's a drug called Eltroxin, which people who, whose thyroid is underperforming, they'll take that. And it moved manufacturer from Canada to Germany. And basically the drug stayed the same. But because of the move in factory, the pills changed size and color. And there were media reports that said, oh, now they get to make it here. It's going to be cheaper to make. People complaining of side effects, even though it was the exact same pill, rose by a factor of 2,000. So 2,000 times as many complaints about this drug. And there was nothing different about it. So I think that's what's happening to Darren. Possibly. You're convincing yourself I swear that you to God, I, I swear to God that uh, I did have that painkiller and headache went after an hour. 
So it's gone now. It's gone now. The glasses help as well, though. But the Norfan could be a placebo as well. Don't the the uh, headache. There, fucking four hundred milligram. You say I get rid of fucking get rid of any pain in your body. You would. Oh no! But like you can convince people that they're sick. Well, when you call in sick to work. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make an end of that. I feel very sick. Sometimes you hang up and you're like, oh, I got away with it. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you start. Oh, you start this kind yeah, of, actually, I feel like I am. Then you're at home and you're like, toast, toast, jam and toast magazine. <coughs> you fucking love a magazine when you're <coughs> sick, don't you? Absolutely. No, only when I was a young fella. Used to love a match magazine. Or a little dandy. Little beano. Little beano chat. Class. I used to like the ones though with the fucking free gift. Ah yeah, a little fucking spinning oh, topper, getting a bleeding magazine and no gift. A little Spider-Man fucking yoke, <laughs> little web web show, little web yoke, the fucking thing, huh? So there you go. Well, I presume for that to be a good story. <laughs> what sort of sentence was that? I mean, oh, you pre- you predict? Okay, yeah. I had a dream last night that you were going to tell me that story. I'm really surprised you aren't more like fully on board with that. I believe your woman. I believe her. I think that she had real premonitions. Mm. But the other fellow was just a bleeding postman chancer. Postman Pat. Going around fucking saying, you know, all this and that. Postman Patsy Doesn't trying to make a quid. Threatening <laughs> no. him, saying, what's for it? Do you, do you have Imagine an hour, pa- an hour passing and then him saying, yeah, but, uh, feeling is going to be like it'd be a, there was a crash an hour ago. Of course there was, because you heard someone told you. Yeah. It's on the news. There's no tellies, like, but. Newspapers pressing it. <laughs> Bit slow, actually. Actually, a bit slow with the information today, mate. We all know. <laughs> no, but I know in my head. Because I, I got a headache and then I had to take a moment out. I didn't read the newspaper, did I? I'm not thinking about it. It just happened an hour ago, man. It's not the crash. You're trying. I have a premonition that people are going to listen to this podcast and say, wow, that is so good. We should yeah. go get tickets for the live show absolutely in Vicar mm. Street yeah. on September 29th they'll be like wow what was that is that Christopher Walken that, we haven't heard him in a while oh, that's just a hint oh that, 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 we'll save that for the live show now here here oh. uh, tell it oh some of that you're a little tease you little dirty bastard you <laughs> someone get him a fucking tea or something mm. <laughs> oh. hang on, hang on. I have, I'm getting a headache oh what's happened oh shit what do you want a cup of tea I fucking love a cup of tea. <laughs> I love a cup of tea. Are you going to make a cup of tea? I go on, so we'll have a cup of tea. We'll wrap this up then, will we? Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, and thanks very much for doing a, a deep dive into the Premonition Bureau. It's very interesting. And that's all we have time for on this ep- Only on this episode of the Staller Podcast. Mm. There's plenty of other episodes. You can go back and listen to all of them. Anyone. Just pick one out. Pick one out. Pick a little lucky dip. little lucky dip. Staller to go out original podcast. Proudly sponsored by... Who will be sponsored by... Darren. The five lamps. The beer? Yeah, from our hair. Ah, that's class, isn't it? Did you not even know that? Oh, I no, man. I tell you, I'm in for a treat. As, as, as lovely. As I said before, some sup. Some sup? Some quench of it. <sighs> I can't wait to be quenched. I love reading all the facts, though, when you visit Drink Aware, you know, before you have one. That means more to me than every aspect of it. Good. I just like having a drink. Yeah. Like see us after, right? Bye bye now. Stall it with Darren and Joe, a Go Loud original podcast, proudly sponsored by Five Lamps. The beer from Ah Here. Try a local in your local. Get the facts, be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie.